On this episode of the BYO Nano Podcast, a year into the pandemic and things are still uncertain, but there are glimmers of hope on the horizon and for small breweries. The road to the future successes can be paved now, though, through education and understanding. This is John Hall, and welcome to the BYO Nano Podcast. Episode 15, and I don't know how you're feeling, but a recent spate of warm weather here in the Northeast, some are going to call it full spring, has me a little happier. Vaccines are being administered, a lot of people are still being smart, socially distanced, and caring about their neighbors, and maybe some of the winter blues are lightening. I've been thinking about betterment and collaboration, things that maybe were backburnered during the months alone and in an endless loop of sameness. And with that in mind, I'm happy that on the show this month is Steve Parks. He's the owner and the lead instructor of the American Brewers Guild and the Drop-In Brewery in Vermont. And Kelly Lormeyer, she's the field marketing manager of Yakima Chief Hops. I'll talk with them in a moment, but first, however, I'm happy to tell you that this episode is sponsored by Blickman Pro Brewing. With superior engineering and unrivaled service, Blickman Pro Brewing equipment is the right choice for pro results. Whether it's for your pilot system or production line, their turnkey systems come fully equipped with everything you need to hit the ground running. Designed for easy setup and intuitive use, their brew house systems and cellaring equipment deliver uncompromising quality and reliability backed by a name you can trust. So you can focus on what matters most, your beer. Visit BlickmanPro.com today to learn more. And on May 21st, join BYO for a full-day craft brewery startup workshop led by Steve Parks of the American Brewers Guild, along with Audra Gazanis on startup financials and Matthew McLaughlin on legal tips for startups. Full details on this nano bootcamp can be found at BYO.com bootcamp. Steve Parks has spent a career brewing and educating, and like so many of us, the pandemic sent him for a loop. The nature of beer is changing, and there are new things to think about when it comes to running a small brewery, and there are fundamentals that need to be strengthened as well. He's the owner and the lead instructor of the American Brewers Guild, and has helped countless brewers start on their professional journey. I was curious about that, and about what he was thinking about the spring, education-wise, and so I called him up for a chat. He spoke to me from Vermont. There's obviously been a set curriculum for aspiring professional brewers that has existed for many, many, many years. But I imagine that there are new lessons and and new pieces of the curriculum that have emerged in the last year that we've been in this pandemic. What, what do you think are the most important lessons that came out of this last year? Interesting. The fundamentals of brewing obviously haven't been changed by this, but the the fundamentals of the brewing business may have. Um, your we we have tended to focus in the past on on the simple, uh, just how to brew beer and how to make beer really well. Um, but I think the and but we've always and we've always emphasised um, uh, efficiency and quality and. Um, ways of doing things the proper way and the traditional ways have been uh, foundations have been taught but also on top of that whenever there's an innovation come along we've tried to incorporate that into the uh, into the curriculum as well um, what is has been interesting I don't know if it's necessarily related to COVID is uh, um, availability on the market now on uh, to smaller and uh, home brewers and to small nano commercial brewers um, some of the technology, some of the um, 
um, some of the products that uh, larger brewers have enjoyed being able to use and been able to afford to use are now reaching down into the sort of smaller scale. Yeah. Um, the suppliers have certainly um, responded uh, to perceived demand from brewers, um, which has been led, I, I'm, I'm assuming, by customers' demands as well. So we're seeing us having to think in terms of talking about the use of uh, various adjuncts uh, that weren't necessarily the focus before, uh, fruit, fruit purees and how to deal with those, um, how to neutralize yeast without pasteurization so you can preserve the uh, product integrity and in package. A um, couple of things like new hop products that are now available on much smaller scales to, to uh, smaller brewers. Um, and uh, that improve efficiency and also um, deliver the kind of products that the customers want these days. So our shift as as the difficulty that we've encountered is being a a distance learning program and not doing everything uh, in front of the students every time, which allows us to incorporate this new stuff, is having to go out and create new uh, visual material and new lecture material and covering these new things. As far as COVID is concerned, it's a way of... It's 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 drawn um, attention to the fact that perhaps brewing has rested on its uh, laurels for quite a long time, um, <laughs> yeah, large chunk of its history, and uh, that flexibility uh, and uh, changes in the market are just around the corner at any time. Um, the, we saw it. We saw it with a shift towards pastry stouts and, and hazy IPAs, but now we're seeing it in more in terms of uh, of, uh, of packaged beer over draft beer. Um, the, yeah. the, the ratio has shifted dramatically in in the last uh, last year because of that. Um, and uh, the places that, that beer is available, uh, brewers having to, in the business sense, uh, figure out things like direct shipping uh, to customers and a renewed surge in interest in in, in um, putting beer, beer in the mail and then uh, or, or in some kind of delivered to people's homes in some kind of shipping service uh, whether that's related whether that's just high-end uh, expensive uh, specialty beers in the price range of wine or whether it's even just a simple uh, four or six pack of beer shipped to somebody's house um, what is the what what uh, sort of conditions is the beer going to going to encounter in yeah. the back of a UPS truck that it wouldn't have encountered on a in a in a carefully controlled environment that the wholesalers have developed over the years yeah. so there's a few a few areas where brewers are are going to going to um, learn learn a lot and learn it very quickly yeah I, but it's mostly it's mostly business related i think yeah i mean it's it, it's interesting you're talking about the integrity of some of the beers and obviously we've seen uh the social media posts uh, everybody wants to avoid being on worst beer blog i think uh, i hope yeah. um you know but but exploding cans and and it's such an interesting thing when with, with so much fruit puree going into beer these days and obviously there's a, a consumer demand for it um most of those should probably stay out of the UPS stream, even if your state allows for it. Because as we head into the to the hotter months, um, that's a pretty quick way to get your contract pulled from uh, from from UPS if you just have soggy box after soggy box. Um, I imagine. Absol- yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, there's it's it's uh, historically brewers have understood this that you don't have a beer that has yeast in it and 
and uh, and sugar, fermentable sugar. Yeah. Um, going back to the ancient days of, of breweries first packaging, um, adding sugar to beers to sweeten them. Um, and then knowing that if that was the case, you were going to have to pasteurize it. Um, that was just the way it was. Um, I, keep, I do give this sort of uh, this, this talk to the students in the class that uh, um, we solved these problems once before. We knew how to make shelf-stable beer that had sugar in it, and, and, uh, and uh, but we, we had things like filtration and pasteurization. Craft, craft beer came along um, in the early days of craft and decided we're, we're going to forego pasteurization. We don't want we don't want that. That's a, that has bad connotations in our mind. It doesn't. We don't think it works for our product, so we're not going to pasteurize. And it's expensive, so we're not going to pasteurize. And then brewers stopped filtering, and now brewers are going. And, but we understood that the the, the product could still be shelf stable, uh, despite the fact it wasn't filtered and it wasn't pasteurized, because we were fastidiously clean upstream in the brewery, and we developed, I think. Um, um, Cellar, te- uh, cellar techniques are among the best in the world. We've got some of the cleanest breweries in the world in, in North America using cylinder conical vessels, single yeast strains, uh, um, um, and, uh, and uh, every, every brewer in a cellar in America has a bottle of sanitizer strapped to their belt uh, walking around with it. Anything <laughs> that touches the floor gets cleaned yeah. uh, scrupulously. So, um, but now we are, again, back to taking chances again. And um, it, it scares me that that perhaps perhaps some of the newer brewers have uh, not known this or forgotten this. Certainly anybody who went to brewing school well, with me uh, knows and understands that uh, you can't have live yeast and sugar in, the, in a closed container yeah. and not expect bad things to happen. I don't um, know. I, I so, feel like we uh, sound like the old guys when we're having this conversation of, you we know, do, please don't, we? don't have yeah. your cans well, explode. Yeah. I am an old guy who's having this conversation. <laughs> and, uh, so, yeah, I, yeah guilt, um, guilt and actuality by association with you, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. I know I've told this story before as well. That, um, um, back in uh, 1977, uh, I discovered punk rock and started listening to uh, the Sex Pistols and the Clash and the Damned instead of Pink Floyd and Led Zeppelin. Cause, and yes, the old farts that knew how to play their instruments. Um, but were not making anything interesting that I wanted to hear. So the kids, you know, who couldn't play their instruments, were, but had passion and energy, and were telling me a story. And it was, and it was, and now, you know, fifty years later, or something, or forty years later, it's the other. I, I'm the boring old fart that knows how to operate a brewery, and uh, and the kids are coming along, and I've got to listen to their passion and their energy and their enthusiasm. Well, we're still going to hope that the kids are all right, but um, yeah, I, 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 <laughs> I have faith. I have faith in the kids. <laughs> I do too. I do. I do too. Um, mm-hmm. Which sort of leads me into, I've been theorizing, which you know is not something that a journalist should often do, but you know it's 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 kind of hard from this perch that I'm in right now. Of uh-huh. after 2008 and the Great Recession and the the economic collapse. Uh, there were a lot of people who got into the brewing industry, and we definitely saw a boom in 11, 12, and 13 that was directly born out of that last recession. And mm-hmm. it was people saying, okay, you know, I'm, I'm tired of my rat race job. Uh, I want to pursue a passion. I want to be involved in something that I want to be involved in. And, 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 and beer was it for a lot of people. And I'm, I'm curious to see if that happens 
this time that after the pandemic and a year at home for people or you know tired of the job that they're in or laid off of the job that they were in whatever the circumstances were if people were going to get into the to the brewing industry because of of you know the times that were yeah in. yeah well there's certainly going to be a little bit more used equipment for them to do that if they want to um <laughs> which which is an answer in and of itself yeah, I mean, there's always been this, we all move over and make room for the newcomer uh, to, at the table um, whenever there's a surge like this. And it's, and it's one, of the, been one of the most beautiful things about the brewing industry is the, 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 the whole concept, the heady concept that, uh, that rising tides floats all boats and that yep. while we're growing our market share, the more players, the better. And um, well, it's going to. I think it's going to be a wait and see what uh, what the restaurant industry looks like, um, what 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 that recovery, uh, what form that recovery takes, uh, as to whether the market grows back to where it was. Um, and uh, there's always a threat. There is always something new coming along. There's 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 been new things in the past. There's been the 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 fake. Um, um, uh, uh, craft brands from the big guys. There's been the purchasing of some of our biggest uh, and most successful breweries uh, by the big guys. There's been, you know, hard seltzer is a thing now. Um, uh, that a big it, there's, thing al- now. there's always going yeah. to be a, a threat to the, to be countered or to be either embraced or, or defeated or, or or co-opted in some way by the craft brewing craft brewing world. Um, but um, that didn't really answer the question, did it? Um, getting, getting the uh, whether there's going to be a surge or not, I, I, I didn't predict the last one, and I'm not sure that I can predict the next one either. Well, I guess um, I, the, the the question though, because that was just sort of like a, a wind up to it. But I, I think the question that I had was, if somebody is thinking about starting a small brewery right now, a nano brewery right now, born out of these times. Yeah. From your educator standpoint, what's one I or think, two things to sort of have in mind before you? I think it's absolutely, absolutely critical that you are doing it for the right reason. Um, yeah, um, giving up on on the world as it is and taking your life in a different direction is very appealing. Um um, for, for a lot of people, um, we get people in the class, and we always have done. And basically, the description of one of our typical students is someone who wakes up one morning and says, "Well, this sucks. Um, I love <laughs> brewing. Why don't I do that?" Um, and I think the the but there, but a nano brewery in particular is a is a model that can work, um, provided you understand it is what it is. Um, it's not. Uh, it doesn't follow the same rules as the, the the larger breweries. It can't really dabble in distribution. It can't really dabble in in uh, packaging so much um, uh, because of the lack of resources. It succeeds uh, when it stays hyper local and is a fully is a full on retail uh, business, and that means it's not so much a brewery as it is a bar or a restaurant. Um, that makes its own beer, and uh, that's when that's when you start to um, um, realize that that that's not necessarily what your dream was to begin with. Your dream was to make beer and sell it and make people happy with the beer that you made, and 
that's great, but you find quickly that you're running a small business and you're and a small hospitality business at that. So the, the, the economics of nano brewing is is still service and retail, and hospitality, and um, that's uh, that's what I think comes as a surprise to a lot of people when they think about this. And I want I'd love love to be able to get in front of everybody who's plans on opening a nano brewery and say to them, well, are you prepared for all the other things that this entails? So as we start to think about moving forward. Um, and we touched on this just a little bit, but the fundamentals. Um, we're, if we're using, I guess it's spring now. So I always often think of like spring as a time of like renewal or spring cleaning or, you know, refocusing our energies, that kind of thing. Yeah. In your mind, where is it helpful for brewers to remind themselves of, you know, the fundamentals or you know, some aspect of brewing, you know, to sort of go back to their training um, and get a refresher on or just a, a reinforcement of? Is, is there an area or two that sort of come to mind of, you know, there almost like spring a, spring training, like, you know, shake the rust off a little bit and get back into shape? Yeah, yeah. I think, um, I, yeah, there's, there's always a good time to reevaluate what you're doing every day. Um, but spring seems like a, um, a time when you might have more enthusiasm for that or be a little <laughs> more motivated for that. Yeah. Um, but, um, in my, in my mind, it's, it's, it's Im- improving the process and your efficiencies all the time. Um, using fewer resources to make more beer, um, look at the water use. What are you wasting? Look at the CO2 in particular. Could that be improved? Can there's there ways that you can reclaim uh, that from your process and not? Uh, and there are uh, ways of doing that and not waste it every single time. Uh, look at yeast. Uh, look at learning how to get a more of a more of a handle on that. It's not even in the biggest breweries and in, in Anheuser Busch they they won't claim to to be able to control what the yeast does, but you can certainly uh, nudge it in a direction that you want it to go. Um, and uh, treat it well, um, and uh, and learn how to maintain it, how to keep hold on to it in a healthy way. Um, it seems to me, after a while, that dropping dried yeast into the batch and throwing it away every single time eventually gets uh, uh, isn't economic. When oh, there sure. are there are ways of there are ways of avoiding that and improving your skill set as a brewer as well. Um, yeah, um, and always, always be looking at improving uh, what beer you do put into a package. Um, and uh, yeah, so there's 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 lots of things you can that you can look at as a brewer. Um, exploring new ingredients. Talk to the suppliers. Actually, this is a good time to start thinking about because uh, nano breweries are in a perfect position to start utilizing locally grown ingredients. Mm-hmm. They're in malt houses popping up all over the all over the place and, and hop growers trying their hand at it in lots of different parts of the country now. Uh, and nothing says uh, uh, craft, I think, like emphasizing the fact that the ingredients were grown just down the street from where yeah. the brewery is. Um, and uh, I think that's always going to be something worth exploring. Yeah. And you don't, you know, you can forego those uh, bagged purees and uh, work with the local farm as well for your 
blueberries uh, and raspberries and everything absolutely. else. Absolutely, yeah, that's the yeah, that's that's fantastic. Yes, every ingredient can can be grown in your state. Particularly, I mean, there there are obviously fruit, nuts, and berries, and all kinds of things. But yes, absolutely. Well, Honey is a new one I've just started exploring recently as well. That's uh, yeah, that's very interesting. I, I've seen mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of it, and there's uh, a lot of brewers that are using it um, as a, a secondary fermentation agent uh, almost exclusively. Yeah, there's a big surplus of it apparently at the moment. So yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's a good ingredient. Fun things to explore, and uh, folks can go. Yeah, to... and I, and I think what's I think it's great to say that the that the suppliers have stepped up and have. And, uh, and are willing to work with smaller and smaller breweries now to get them the things that they need, um, recognizing that a lot, yeah, a lot of the beer is being made now in very small batches in spread out over large areas. So um, it's it's getting easier. Um, and uh, but but I but I think at the end of the day, when it, what my advice to anyone starting an Anna brewery as well would be that you've got to just want to put the best quality beer out there you possibly can if you are a really really expert home brewer and want to make that step up to sharing your your beer and your recipes and your creations and your delicious beers with uh, lots of other people then the nano brewery is obviously a, a great um a great uh, model for you to follow what I was going to say is, I agree with you 100%. Uh, and I was going to say that uh, people could go to byo.com for more information on honey and brewing with honey because there's uh, oh, a yeah. lot of stuff there. Uh, Steve Parks, he's the owner and the lead instructor of the American Brewers Guild in Vermont. You can join him on May 21st for a full day craft brewery startup workshop, which uh, we'll talk about some of this, but obviously a lot more. Uh, and he'll be joined by Audra Gazanis on startup financials and Matthew McLaughlin on legal tips for startups as well. Full details on that bootcamp as well as all of the other ones can be found at byo.com slash bootcamps. Steve, thanks again for doing this. I appreciate it. My pleasure, John. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks again to this episode's sponsor. With superior engineering and unrivaled service, Blickman Pro Brewing Equipment is the smart choice for your bottom line. Visit BlickmanPro.com to learn more. So March is Women's History Month, and you might have seen around social media a lot of the Pink Boots Society chapters and its members mashing in for special beers. And a lot of them are using a hop blend by Yakima Chief. And the person behind it, originally, is Kelly Lormeyer. She's the field marketing manager there. And I called her up to get the backstory on these hops, as well as to find out what else is shaking in the field and on tap for harvest and selection this year. I've been seeing on social media, uh, and I think mostly because of of March, which is great, um, with uh, Women's History Month and uh, International Women's Day, uh, I've been seeing a lot of Pink Boots collaboration beers, and specifically the Pink Boots blend. And Laura Ulrich, uh, she tells me that you're the one who created this, which I think is is, is pretty cool and and, and pretty exciting. So I I guess first off... um, how did, well, I guess I should start it this way. Uh, first off, what is the Pink Boots Blend? So the Pink Boots Blend is basically a unique blend we create each year with the Pink Boots Society. And historically, we've done that at the GABF. Um, they have their uh, like 
international meeting that anyone can come to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'll bring fresh hops from harvest from September to that meeting. And then um, we'll usually have some kind of education before. And then after um, they'll have all the whole cone hops to rub. Um, and we give them about uh, like 30 minutes, 45 minutes to kind of go through and rub the hops and pick some of their favorites out. And they vote on their favorites. And then from there, we count the, we use bottle caps. It's pretty simple. Count the, <laughs> yeah, right. That's so weird um, in an aluminum can world, but sure, bottle caps still work. Right. Well, we do it at the Blue Moon facility. Oh, okay. Uh, the, so, yeah. The original one. So okay. they have, yeah, all the bottle caps. <laughs> <laughs> all right. That makes sense. Right. Some, of, some big beer still has it. Um, but yeah, so then once we narrow, we narrow it down to about eight to 10 hops from that bottle cap count. And then from there, um, everyone has their own individual cup and they actually will kind of start making little blends in their cups of the hops that they like remembering. And it's very rudimentary. It's like a pinch, you know, is a pinch and then it's two pinches or three pinches and just remember what they had put in that cup um, and then at the end, we have all the cups out for evaluation and um, everyone gets to vote on one that they like the best. And then that one was the winner when we could do it in person. Um, this year was a little different. We had to do it virtually. Uh, so we were able. Yeah, it was. Everything's virtual. these Th- days. This is right? where that whole smell a vision thing would really come in handy. Yeah, right. <laughs> totally. Um, but it was nice. We chose, we had 15 teams. Uh, we had Australia and Canada included. And um, then we uh, worked with, I believe it was like 10 of the strongest chapters in the United States. And then we did a lottery for um, the other five. Okay. And so people could submit a um, their essay about why they should be chosen for being one of the teams. And um, we ended up sending hops to all 15 teams and the first, we had two rounds. So the first round was basically those teams each did that same thing we do at GABF, but inside of their own group. And then they submitted their winner. And then from there, we took all that data from those submissions. And actually our sensory and planning team um, reviewed the ballots from the teams. And then they ranked the varieties by popularity. Um, so they counted the number of teams that used them and their desired blends. And then they looked at the mean and mode of pr- proposed percentages mm-hmm. sorry, of each variety used in the desired blends. And then from there, we developed three balance blends, kind of focusing on the top choice varieties in those desired amounts. Um, if that makes sense, it's kind it of does. convoluted there. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Nice. So, um, and so how many years have you all been doing this? Um, this is our fourth year. So next year will be five, which is exciting. And and I guess when you first started thinking about doing this, um, and I want to talk about what's in this year's blend, but where's where, where's the origin of this idea? Um, so that's a fun one. Uh, I was up at Hop Harvest and um, we were out in the field, uh, one of the experimental fields from at the Jason Peralt Farm or Peralt Farms, I should say. It's not Jason Peralt Farms, but Peralt Farms. Well, Jason works there, yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, you know Jason. He's the CEO, and uh, he actually is the creator <laughs> of many of the great hops in the world. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we were out in a field on the team, and we were smelling some hops, and the CEO at the time, um, he had mentioned to me, like, hey, like, it'd be really nice to that if we could support some women in the industry. And I was, 
I'm the one outside sales representative. Um, so obviously he asked me and I mentioned to him that I had met Laura Ulrich, the president of Pink Boots Society at a beer dinner recently. And that I thought she was really neat. And I thought the Pink Boots was a really cool society because of the, you know, their mod motto to educate, assist and inspire. And so I it was like, why don't we work with the Pink Boots Society? And um, he's like, that sounds great. Why don't you get it started? And um, I therefore got a hold of Laura, told her my idea, and she told me about the GABF rub. And I was like, perfect timing. So we scrambled and got it together like within a month um, and brought the hops and started the, the whole process. <laughs> I love that that happened. Um, yeah. And so this was year four. And virtually, what did everybody decide on and, and, and what's in this blend this year? So virtually, we narrowed it down to a tannum, cashmere, citra, laurel, and sabro. Okay. Um, and if you want me to give a description of the aromas. If you um, have it. Yeah. Um, I've actually got to drink one beer so far, so I also, it, I think it matches. Um, it's a lot of peach, grapefruit, um, some pineapple, some orange, and a little green grass. Um, so a really nice blend. I had it in a really nice hazy that Laura Ulrich and I actually brewed um, for a beer dinner on Monday. And it was just, yeah, screaming with peaches, tangerine a little bit even in there, like um, very balanced. The grapefruit kind of gave it a tiny bit of bitterness, but not too much. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Um, so what styles, when you were all, like after it's put together, where in your mind does it go of like, okay, it'll work in this type of beer? I mean, I'm guessing IPA or pale ale, um, but is it versatile, do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that's what the funnest part about this, doing the hot blend like this. Um, you can get so creative with it. Like I could see this in like a Cezanne. I could see this in a sour. Um, I Obviously, pales, India pale ales and hazy beers, absolutely. Um, even dry hop lager, uh, one of my breweries did that and it's releasing this weekend. So Highland Park did a dry hop lager. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a versatile blend and you can really use it in whatever you want to use it in at whatever. And the good thing is it's like all together. So you can just use the one hop and get so many of these great flavors, um, very easily and use a grain bill that you enjoy and a style of beer that you enjoy to, you know, accent the the aromas that come out of it yeah so obviously you know we're, we're not quite sure what's going to happen um uh this fall uh, if people get two shots in the arm and people are feeling uh pretty good about uh, getting together maybe there'll be a, an in-person hop rubbing uh, at the at the redone cbc or the rescheduled cbc if that happens in september um but as far as harvest goes i i, I know people are probably eager to get out there and, you know, whether or not it's going to uh, happen where people can actually come out and visit. Um, for the smaller breweries that, that exist in, in, in the U.S. and even around the world right now, what should they be thinking about in your mind um, as Harvest is coming up? Yeah, for sure. Um, harvest is always the best time of year because that's when, you know, the fresh crop comes, comes down. Uh, some things that we're really excited about hop-wise, uh, Talus just got a name this year. Yep. It was 692. So you're, are you familiar? A little bit, but I mean, for those who aren't. Cool. Um, yeah, Talus is like, it's going to hold a lot of pink grapefruit. Um, it plays super well with Simcoe. 
Um, it does have a little bit of an herbaceous quality, um, but it's it's not at all overpowering if you don't go too heavy handed. Mm -hmm. It's a hop, you know, you can use at like that 10 to 30% level and really get a lot of bang out of it. Um, so Talus is one I would definitely try to get my hands on if you see it. Um, it did quickly sell out in 2020, but I do believe we have a little bit of cryo version left and that would be available if it is available on our spot market at yakimachiefhops.com. Okay. Um, Anything else? That, yeah. The most exciting. Um, we're looking at a couple experimental numbers, uh, 630, which is going to throw um, some tropical notes. It also has like some hard candy, raspberry, cherry flavors. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. That one's, it's pretty interesting in beer. I, I liked it. I've had it in like kind of a more lighter bodied um, IPA, almost slash pale ale. Okay. Uh, so it really shined because um, it's kind of a delicate hop, I think. So just being careful that you're letting it, letting it shine and not overpowering it, but a little Simcoe underneath there, I think would go really well as well with that one. Maybe even if you wanted to do something really fun and a hazy, like mix that with Sabro. Okay. Um, which is also Sabro is a hot hop right now. Tons of pineapple, coconut. Um, if you use it in the whirlpool, you're going to get more of the suntan coconut. If you use it in the dry hop, you're going to get more of the pineapple flavors. Um, and it really plays well in the biotransformation portion of beer. Okay. Uh, so Sabro really comes out and gives that super tropical coconut, fruity, pineapple-y deliciousness. Um, it's a strong one as well. So, you know, go light on it, but which is good. You know, if you can go light on these hops, you're saving money in the end, in the end game. Yeah. So if a harvest happens in person, obviously it'll be, you know, like harvest is happening in person uh, and selection and, 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 and everybody harvest will happen in person, but selection is what I mean. If, if, if folks are coming out, mm -hmm. if, if, if we're still sort of in this hybrid world, is, is there anything that you can recommend to smaller breweries to be thinking about now to sort of, virtually or uh, remotely jazzed about or at least prepared for what's on the horizon? Yeah, for sure. Um, so last year we took Hop and Brew School virtually, uh, which is our big event that we have every year that mm -hmm. um, usually we'll have a home brew section and a commercial brew section. Um, and we'll invite, you know, everyone, it's open to anyone to register. You can come out to Yakima. We have a lot of different people presenting to you at that point, but last year we had to take it virtually and we ended up having I think we had like 67 virtual harvest conversations that anyone could access on our, our web platform. And uh, I do see us either going virtual with that again, if, you know, like you mentioned, not enough shots in arms or people yeah. aren't comfortable. Um, but that's a really great way to bring harvest to people. So we'll talk about, you know, what's going on in the fields, um, what's going on in our T90 extract cryo plants. Um, we'll also have some, great research and development conversations from our um, R&D team. Um, I think one thing, you know, we want to be as connected to your hops as you can. Uh, get in touch with your Yakima Chief Hops local regional rep. Uh, there's a lot of good things we can talk to you about when it comes to making sure you are happy with the lots that you get. Um, we have a lot of sensory tools that we can use to kind of give you a little taste of what we have in Equinot or what we have in Chinook um, so that even if you can't rub and select raw hops, you can actually use that method to select from a T90 um, where you'd be able to have like that consistent consistency in your beer all year. 
Um, so we have like some great sensory tools. So yeah, I would recommend reaching out to your Yakima Chief Hops rep or myself and I can help get you in touch with them um, to make sure we have all your needs covered. Perfect. Well, thanks for taking the time and thanks for sharing information on uh, what we can hope for this year and certainly uh, what we're going to be tasting in this and all these Pink Boots collaboration beers uh, that are out there. So Kelly, thanks for thanks for being on the show. Yeah, I totally appreciate you uh, asking me to come on, John. It's been nice talking to you. Before we go, I'd like to hear from you. What are the hops that you're most excited about this year? And are you hoping to make it out for selection? Email me. Let me know. It's nano at byo.com. And I'll invite you to head over to byo.com slash nanopodcast and subscribe to the newsletter, the magazine, and to catch up with great pro-brewing content. New episodes of this show are released on the 15th of every month, so subscribe now and never miss a show when it's released. And you can also do us a favor by leaving feedback on your podcast platform of choice or by emailing nano at byo.com or checking in with us on all of the BYO social media channels. And I'm also happy to tell you that this episode is sponsored by Blickman Pro Brewing. With superior engineering and unrivaled service, Blickman Pro Brewing equipment is the right choice for pro results. Whether it's for your pilot system or production line, their turnkey systems come fully equipped with everything you need to hit the ground running. Designed for easy setup and intuitive use, their brew house systems and cellaring equipment deliver uncompromising quality and reliability, backed by a name you can trust, so you can focus on what matters most, your beer. Visit BlickmanPro.com today. And on May 21st, join BYO for a full-day craft brewery startup workshop led by Mr. Steve Parks of the American Brewers Guild. He's going to be joined by Audra Gazanis, who's going to be talking about startup financials, and by Matthew McLaughlin, who will be talking about legal tips for startups. Full details can be found on this event at byo.com slash bootcamps. I'm John Hall. And you can still find me weekly behind the microphone on the Drink Beer, Think Beer podcast, as well as on Steal This Beer. Find those where podcasts are found, and I hope you'll tune in. And you might have noticed that we've changed up our music on this episode. It was still created by Scott McCampbell, and we're thanking him for that and thankful that he created this for us. And once again, be sure to check out BYO.com slash nanopodcast for all of your nano brewing needs. And for now, we wish you all the best for a small but successful brew day. Cheers. Cheers.